few years back, there was a video that went viral on YouTube, social media, of this 10-year-old girl opening up this really special Christmas gift. The girl's name is Emma Bennett, and because of a rare uh, birth defect, Emma has worn a prosthetic leg since she was nine months old. I wonder if maybe some of you saw that video a few weeks back. It's probably a good thing that the Christmas decorations are up, and I can't show it to you today because we would all be like ugly crying in this place this morning if we watched it. It's so touching. You probably know where this story is going if you haven't seen it. Emma's special gift for Christmas was a doll that her family had custom made that had a prosthetic right leg. Well, I know. Yeah, watch it this afternoon and uh, be prepared to shed some tears. When Emma opens the gift, her reaction is probably best described by the words behind me. She rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. She first lets out this squeal in surprise, followed by the words, you've gotta be kidding me. No, you've gotta be kidding me. Then she bursts into both laughter and tears as she rips the doll from the packaging and clutches it tightly against her. And through the giggles and sobs, she says, it's just like me. Thank you for making a doll just like me. Family, one of the reasons, big reasons we rejoice at Christmas time is because Jesus came down just like us. Now, I know he was also fully divine, yes, so maybe not just like us in that way, but he was also fully human, right? Which means that God gets us. In other words, he is not out of touch with our reality. He understands, as uh, Philip so awesomely said in his, his story today, he understands how you feel. He has faced what you face. And just like Emma found comfort in that doll that could relate so well to her situation, my hope today for you is that you would find comfort knowing that Jesus relates so well to yours. And I'd like to point your attention to something in the Christmas story that I think especially illustrates just how much God gets us. There's many things we could talk about, many different details we could look at in the Christmas story, but there's something in particular that I think really especially illustrates how much God gets us, and that is the location in which he was born. I know you already know the location that Jesus was born. And you probably could say by heart the verses that we are about to read from Luke's gospel, the second chapter. But still, I would like to invite you to go there with me to Luke chapter 2 and and read a little bit of just a few verses of Jesus' birth and to be reminded in a powerful way just how much God gets us. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. 
Bethlehem, of course, is the location in which Jesus was born. Bethlehem is located about five miles south, southwest of Jerusalem. It has an elevation of about 2,500 feet. The city is situated within the hill country of Judah, part of a central mountain range that runs north and south through much of Palestine. Shepherding and agriculture drove the economy of Bethlehem back then. The fertile hill country surrounding the town supported many different kinds of crops, vineyards, olive orchards, as well as abundant grazing land for sheep. No wonder there were shepherds with their flocks nearby. And of course, Bethlehem is the city of David. It is the location where Ruth met and married a wealthy farmer named Boaz, whose great-grandson would be David. And not only Bethlehem is the birthplace and home of David where he tended his father's sheep on the surrounding hills, it was the location where Samuel found David and anointed him as king. So you could say that the location of Bethlehem has a significant, positive, hopeful connotation to it. But there's also a few other details we read about in Scripture that communicate kind of a different sentiment of Bethlehem. Bethlehem could also be described as a place of loss and tragedy. In Genesis 35, we read about Jacob's wife, Rachel, who dies en route to Bethlehem. She dies while giving birth to Benjamin. They were journeying, if you might remember, southward from Bethel to Bethlehem at the time, and she is buried somewhere north of Bethlehem along the main north-south route. I can't imagine that loss for that family, particularly for Jacob, right, who waited so many years to marry her and start a family with her, and now his boys are going to grow up without their mother. Bethlehem could also be described as a place of scarcity, even loneliness. At least it was that way for a time for Naomi. I know Bethlehem, as I mentioned before, was a place where Ruth, her daughter-in-law, met Boaz. There's a lot of hope and and redemption in that story. But before all that happens, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, has to flee Bethlehem, go to Moab with her husband and two sons because food and resources are scarce from the severe famine in Bethlehem. And when the famine is over, Naomi has to go back to live in Bethlehem. She has to go without her husband and two sons who have died in Moab. I know she had Ruth, and I know that there's some beautiful redemption in that story, but can you imagine the heartache and loneliness of Naomi going back to live there without her husband and sons? Bethlehem could also be described as a place of conflict, wickedness, violence, In Judges chapter 19 and 20, we read about a young concubine from Bethlehem who was defiled and abused and murdered by these men of Gibeah, causing this violent war. You can read about it this afternoon between the tribe of Benjamin and the other tribes of Israel. And as the years went by, Bethlehem became more and more of this insignificant, ordinary town. That's sort of how the prophet Micah seems to describe it in chapter 5 as he's talking about Jesus, who's going to come, this mighty ruler uh, that's going to be over Israel. He says he's going to come from this small town, Bethlehem. And by the time of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem was even more of this sleepy little town filled with average workaday folks like shepherds and a population of maybe a thousand, probably less. 
And last, but certainly not least, Bethlehem was a location of ugly political corruption, manipulation, and violence at the hand of Herod, who after Jesus was born, ordered the death of every boy two years and under in the town of Bethlehem. Can you imagine the pain and wrenching tears that would have been shed there over that? This was Bethlehem. And this is where God chose to be born? Wouldn't there be other locations that would be much better? What about Rome? Wouldn't that be a better location, the center of the world at that time? Word would have spread like wildfire. The whole world would have soon known the king of kings has arrived. Or how about Athens, the center of of, uh, thought, uh, where human philosophers could be challenged in a new way of thinking about life and its meaning and share that with others? Or at the very least, Jerusalem, right? The, uh, like, Loma Linda of its day, the center of religious and cultural life of God's people. Why not those places? Ah, but it seems to me that if Jesus was to be any blessing at all to us fallen people, he had to be born in Bethlehem. For how else would any of us who have experienced real tragedy and loss be able to discover real hope and comfort? How else would any of us who have scraped by with a scarcity of resources discover how God can provide for our every need? How else would any of us average everyday folks find purpose and passion in the ordinary? How would any of us who have known conflict or who are fed up with the political corruption and conniving in our world today dare to allow ourselves that peace could really be in our hearts? If Jesus isn't born into our scarcity, our ordinary, our broken dreams, our loneliness, our conflicts, our corruption, our pain, our tragedy, or our loss, then what hope do we really have? Maybe Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best when he wrote, in the child of Bethlehem, the life of the world that is to come has come into the life of the world that is. We rejoice because Jesus chose Bethlehem. But there's also one more location that is talked about in that text. Did you notice? Let's read through it again. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, most of the time, the tradition has been that Jesus was placed in a manger, and that means that he was born inside a stable, right? There was no room for him in the inn, so Mary and Joseph had to find some sort of barn or shed uh, out there somewhere to sleep in and for Jesus to be born. But the Greek word used there in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that has historically been translated as inn, is the word katalama, which has multiple meanings, but the most common meaning just simply a spare room or an upper room in a house or village. For example, Ketaluma is the word used in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus meets his disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. There is another Greek word, however, that more explicitly denotes an inn or a hotel. It's a tough one to pronounce. Some of you in here I know 
speak good Greek, so uh, I'm embarrassed to try to pronounce this, but it's pandachion, something like that, more or less, probably less. In Luke chapter 10, that word, pandachion, is the Greek word that is used when the good Samaritan brings the man on the road that he finds to the inn, right? But Luke doesn't use that word that is more commonly used for a hotel or an inn. He uses kataluma. Furthermore, even if there were an inn, a hotel in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary would not have been staying there, right? The only reason for them to travel to Bethlehem is for the census because they have family that lives there. He is from the line of David, and the customs of the day required him to stay with relatives, not with strangers. So the logical conclusion is that, to, that the Ketolema is not an inn, but a guest room in the house, a guest room like the NIV renders it, in the family's house where Joseph and Mary would be staying. And in first century Palestine, most families lived in like these simple single room homes where the main living area was there on the bottom, on the ground floor, and the space for visitors, guests, would be maybe behind the house or if they had an upper room or even the roof is where the guests would stay. So as the text says, all the guest rooms are full. There's no room uh, for, for in the guest room, so most likely filled by other family that have also traveled there for the census. The only option then is the main floor family area of that house. And what was also typical back then was that a small number of animals were housed not in exterior sheds or barns, but in an area inside that main level of the house. Here, animals and tools and, and produce were stored, and the animals were then protected from the elements and then the other things from theft as well. In addition, they would do that because the animals would help heat the space during cold nights. A manger would not be uncommon, maybe in that area, and it would be a pretty decent and warm place to lay a new baby. So despite what maybe many of us have heard, Jesus is not likely born in some cold, distant barn, isolated away from everyone else. It's more likely that the birth took place right in the middle of the action, in the beauty, in the commotion, in the chaos of a poor family's living room. What does being born in that location matter, you might ask? I'll let scholar R.T. France explain that to you. He says it well in his book, We Proclaim the Word of Life. He says, the problem with the stable is that it distances Jesus from the rest of us. It puts even his birth in a unique setting, in some ways as remote from life as if he had been born in Caesar's palace. But the message of the incarnation is that Jesus is one of us. He came to be what we are, and it fits well with that theology that his birth took place in a normal, crowded, warm, welcoming, chaotic Palestinian home, just like many other Jewish boys of his time. Jesus most likely is not born in some far off, detached place. No, he arrives as one of us in the midst of the warmth and chaos of family life. Which tells me that right in the middle of our own chaotic lives, in the midst of our happiness and sorrows, our joys, our grief, our stress and busyness, Jesus meets us there. He is not distant or remote. He is near and close in what we're facing. 
Family, I hope that the location of Jesus' birth has shown you today just how much God gets you, how in touch he is with your reality, how he can relate to what you're facing and that his presence is near as you face it. And I don't think I could give a better appeal for you today than to simply read a few verses from Hebrews chapter four. Chapter four, verses 15 and 16, and I wanna read it to you from the message version. Here is your appeal for the day. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. And I don't think I could give you a better illustration to help you respond to that appeal than to read this excerpt from this uh, article I found in Christian Standard Magazine. It's from Matt Proctor. The title of it is Carols for Any Season of Suffering. Proctor writes, my five-year-old son, Carl, and my three-year-old, Conrad, love it when I dress like them. After they put jeans and a blue t-shirt on, they'll ask me to also put jeans and a blue t-shirt on. When I do, they have a saying. They will survey me, survey themselves, and say, look, Dad, same, same. For my birthday, Carl bought me a North Carolina blue mesh shirt because he has a North Carolina blue mesh shirt. When I put it on, he looked at me and looked at himself. He says, look, Dad, same, same. When I play living room football with my boys, Conrad will not let me play standing up, so big and scary and towering above him. The theological term for this, by the way, is completely other. Instead, he insists I get on my knees, and when I am down at eye level, Conrad puts his hand on my shoulder and says, there, see, Dad? Same, same. They like it when I enter their world. This summer, I scraped my leg while working around the house, and about a day later, Conrad fell and scraped his leg in about the same spot while playing outside. When he came in, he pointed at my scab and then showed me his, and he said, see, Dad? Same, same. And then Proctor concludes, here's the point. God himself has felt what we feel. In the incarnation, he chose not to stay completely other. He got down at eye level, and in the incarnation, God experienced what it's like to be tired and discouraged. He knows what it's like to hurt and bleed. My goodness, on the cross, Jesus himself prayed a psalm of lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In your pain, you may be tempted to say, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how bad I'm hurting but God can respond. Yes, I do. He can point to your wounds and then he can point to his own and say, look, same, same. I have entered your world. I know how you feel. I have been there and I am here now and I can help. What a reason to rejoice. Lord, we sing hallelujah. We praise you for the things you have done, not the least of which you left the great heights of glory. You saw our story and entered in, became one of us.
So Lord, may we respond today. As it tells us in Hebrews to just go right up to you, Lord, and accept the mercy and help you long to give us. Thanks, Lord, for being a God who gets us. Amen.